At Fidelity, value is automatic, starting with the rate you can get on your cash when you open a new retail brokerage account. Learn more at fidelity.com slash trading. Fidelity Brokerage Services, member NYSE SIPC. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people want to make friends, I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate, teach, put in context. So call me at 1-800-743-CNBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. After today's phenomenal run, Dow surging 330 points, S&P jumping 1.16%, ASDAQ pulled at 1.29%. Will individual investors finally start coming back to stocks? I know that may sound like a bizarre question, but despite having an incredibly bullish first quarter, the public just hasn't embraced stocks one bit. Just the opposite. We've seen an amazing headlong rush out of stocks and into bonds in the last few months since the great December mini bear market. That's right. The figures I have so far for the first quarter show $118 billion coming into bonds, $60 billion coming out of stocks. So how the heck has the market been able to rally with so much money fleeing equities as an asset class? I should add what many people think is a broken asset class. Some of this may be laid at the feet of corporate buybacks. Some of it is simply because sellers aren't there every day. They take breaks. The market goes higher. Then they start dumping stock again. Four of the last 12 weeks actually showed some inflows. So it's not like money's constantly coming out of the market. Most of all, though, I think the stock market benefited from a dearth of new supply. The government shut down at the beginning of the year meant that the SEC couldn't clear new IPOs. You combine that lack of additional supply with the voracious, relentless buyback programs from so many companies. And you can see how the averages managed to rally without a lot of new cash to prop them up. Believe me, these corporate repurchase programs, they've got enough firepower to offset the $60 billion that's being sold. Sell, 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 sell. Apple alone brought back $20 billion worth of stock uh, a couple quarters ago. Granted, Apple's got the biggest buyback on earth, but every day there are large cap companies coming in and sopping up supply. Buy, buy, buy! In other words, we've had a a stock shortage thanks to the massive scale of these buybacks and the paucity of new IPOs. It's been a fabulous windfall for you, the investor. That's why I want you to participate. Well, it's been a fabulous windfall until uh, Friday when Lyft, the ride-sharing service, came public. It changed the equation. Lyft stock price is 72, promptly went to 88, and then collapsed, finishing down 10 bucks from that opening. It continued to plummet today, losing another 9 bucks and change, or 12%, and is now well below the offering price. Regardless of today's terrific rally, that action in Lyft is not a good sign for the stock market. Why? Because we've got a trillion dollars worth of private companies that are looking to have IPOs, and if their stocks act like Lyfts and no new money comes into the market, the supply of new stock will crush the average. Even as I said, that, it, that right now, Lyft is valued less expensive than most of the cloud kings. If you're in a high multiple stock and you like those stocks, Lyft's now one of the cheaper ones, and it's got great growth. But where do we go from here? The best way to predict the future is by understanding the past, which is why I want to go over the five biggest winners in the Dow for the first quarter. And they are incredibly illuminating. I want to take them from the bottom up, okay? This is the top five bottom up. Starting with the fifth best performer, ExxonMobil, up 18.5%. Exxon's move makes a ton of sense to me. Do you know the crude was the only commodity that outperformed the U.S. market since the beginning of the year? Like every other commodity, it got crushed by an overzealous Federal Reserve in the fourth quarter. 
That naturally drove down the stock of Exxon. But then the Fed eased up. Oil rebounded, and the oil stocks rebounded with it. I think Exxon's got more room to run because it traded at 86, okay, 86, before Fed Chief Jay Powell sucker-punched the economy in early October. Now that Powell's changed his mind about the need for more rate hikes and the price of oil's coming back to above 61, for heaven's sake, I think it makes a ton of sense to buy Exxon and that it should take out its high. Fourth best performer, Apple. Apple was up 20% for the first quarter. All right, this is an unbelievable anomaly, people, because Apple actually pre-announced a dramatic shortfall in early January. Do you remember that? It's been off to the races ever since. That's not supposed to happen. How's that possible? Well, first, Apple had already gotten crushed during the fourth quarter, plummeting from 233 at its highs to 146 at its lows at the end of the year. So the pre-announcement only clocked the stock down to 142. It had already taken a beating. Second, once Apple reported its full results, we learned that the company had terrific service revenue. And January was a pretty good month. Today, we heard about price cuts on iPhones in China. People panicked early on in the day. But even that could only drive the stock down temporarily, in part because it was a misunderstanding, as the, Chi- and the Chinese simply cut its, they, their value-added tax. The whole discount story was wrong. That's what caused the price to go down. Oh, and last week's product announcements, let's go over them for a second, include an Apple credit card and should be even more added to the company's high margin service revenue stream than anybody's realizing, including the numbers I see from the analysts. The more I dig into this one, the more I like it. Apple's always been great at changing the experience. People say, oh, what do they know about credit cards? They know about changing the experience. Remember the old cell phones and how awful they were? Steve Jobs, Tim War Eagle Cook, Eddie Q, and others combined to create a phone with a much better experience. That's Apple's DNA. And now they're going to do the same thing for credit cards, replacing that baffling point system with actual instant cash back, getting rid of the antediluvian bills in the mail, making it so you never have to take your, the, the darn card out of your wallet if you don't want to. I'm always like fumbling with the cards. I think it will matter more than Wall Street seems to believe because they don't understand it's about experience. All right, third best performer, a little bit of a surprise, United Technologies. It rallied 21%. I think UTEX soared for two reasons. First, it's an industrial, so it rebounded with the compadres after the Fed backed off its plan for multiple rate hikes this year. Second, though, it's bolstered by a belief, founded or un, that the trade talks with China will go well. United Technologies has a gigantic Chinese business, including Otis Elevators and lots of aerospace revenues. Now, UTEX is breaking itself up into three companies, an aerospace company, a climate controls, and an Otis Elevator business. I think it's a fabulous investment if you believe the Chinese trade talks will ultimately succeed. It's one of my favorite industrials, although these breakups take an awfully long time to complete. Second best in this quarter is IBM. Talk about compressed. Here's a stock that had fallen from 100 in the 150s last September to 105 at its December lows. That's a nightmare decline. It wiped out nine years worth of gains. Now IBM's rebounding like crazy, coming back to 143 for a host of reasons, not the least of which is its giant dividend, which currently yields just under 4.4%. That's nicely competitive versus Treasury share as their yields have dropped dramatically. I wish I could tell you that IBM has been bolstered by its closing of its Red Hat acquisition. Its Red Hat reported a very good quarter recently, but the deal won't close until the second half of the year. Finally, best for last, Cisco. So ably led by CEO Chuck Robbins with its stock up 24.6% for the first quarter. Cisco is the perfect metaphor for what could go right in the second quarter. First, the networking titans growth. It's accelerating. Not easy for an older tech company. Second, Cisco's becoming much more of a service and software play, which means it deserves a much higher price to multiple. Third, one of its key uh, roll costs, DRAMs, is plummeting in price. 
This should benefit the next quarter. Fourth, Cisco is a great way to play the build out of 5G. Fifth, it's got a fabulous balance sheet that allows it to acquire what it wants while also raising dividends and boosting buybacks. The bottom line, I think this market can go higher as long as we don't get overwhelmed with new supply from this wave of IPOs, because I think the valuations are still too low for so many of the stocks like we see from the top five performers in the Dow. However, this market needs a deal with China for some of these to work, okay, this one arguably and this one, uh, uh, or else we're going to lose leaders like United Technologies or Apple that are climbing in anticipation of a deal. And most important, it needs new money coming in off the sidelines. It needs your money to add fuel to the fire. Let's go to Donnie in Texas. Donnie! Hello, Jim, and Booyah from Arlington, Texas. Oh, good to have you, Donnie. Hey, I'm calling regarding Southwest Airlines, uh, ticker symbol LUV. Right. Uh, our pilot performed all that well over the past year compared to its peers. And in addition, uh, with the uh, Boeing 737-800 issues, since their fleet is primarily consists of that, uh, and also today, uh, their entire fleet was, was grounded because of some type of com- computer glitch yeah. or something. My question is, in light of this, is this one that we should uh, stick with? Yeah, well, look, all the things you just described are pretty onerous. And yet, what's the stock done? It's up 12% for the year. That tells me it's absorbed a, t- a beating, and it's still doing well. So I say, <laughs> I like it here. Let's go to James in Michigan. James. Hi, Jim. Big fan of the show. Thank you. In light of the recent announcement of the sale of its Keebler brand to Ferrero, what is your take on Kellogg stock now that the company will have $1.3 billion in cash after the sale? Well, I, you know, maybe they'll do something. They want to be back in there with General Mills and with J.M. Smucker and with PepsiCo, but... You know, I, I actually like the Keebler business. I thought they should have tried to fix it rather than sell it. So I'm not biting. Not me. Not now. No, not. Uh, no way. Let's go to Jerry in Florida, please. Jerry. Hello, Mr. Kramer. Hi. Thank you for taking my call. Of course. Uh, I, I bought Macy's at 37.79 on November 9th, 2018. I'd like to know what happened to Macy's money savings restructuring. Should I sell? No, no, don't sell down here. It's got a 6% yield. The balance sheet's vastly improved. They bought back a lot of debt. I think Jeff Kinnett's going to get it right, but they have a lot of restructuring still to do. Once they fix that, you're buying a stock at 7.8 times earnings. I think that that's too cheap. Even if they miss the quarter, it might not go down much more. Let's go to Frank in New York. Frank! Booyah, Jim. Booyah. I just wanted to thank you for a wealth of knowledge that you shared and that has benefited me greatly. thank you. Thank you. My... My question is this. I acquired Yum and did some homework and checked out Yum in China. I purchased Yum China last Tuesday, and I'm wondering if this China deal, depending it goes through and its details, will help established American companies in China or just stimulate new stocks that may be inclusive and the trade agreement are both. Being uh, look, I, I think you look, it sells at a high multiple, but it's been a rocket ship. I like both Yum and Yum China. This is a very well-run company. Uh, I just think you just stick with it. I do not want you to bail, even though it's had a very big run. All right. This market needs two things, and it needs them badly. I'm talking new money and, yes, a deal with China. And then we can go even higher. On Mad Tonight, why the opioid crisis might offer clues when it comes to the trade war. Then, with Lyft shares stalling out today, wondering what's ahead for the rest of the huge deals on the horizon, I'm going to give you my take. And couples take note, sometimes breakups can be good for you. With the spring clean and full swing, it doesn't all have to be a bad romance. I'm eyeing one split that could make you some money. 
So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Take control of your financial future with the new madmoney.cnbc.com. Kramer's exclusive CEO interviews, full episodes, analysis, even your own soundboard. Plus special access to Mad Money 101 with rules and techniques to break down the market for all investors. The red flag that makes me drop a stock immediately is... It's everything you need right when you need it. The new madmoney.cnbc.com. At Fidelity, we work to get you a better price for every trade. See how much we saved investors last year at fidelity.com slash price improvement. Fidelity Brokerage Services, member NYSE SIPC. Every time I hear more optimistic chatter about the trade negotiations with China, I just want to shake my head. Haven't these people learned anything? We may eventually get a trade deal, but it won't be quick. It won't be easy. And you certainly shouldn't be buying stocks just because you think we're on the verge of some kind of breakout. Yep, I think we're a long way from reaching a viable agreement with the Chinese. And you want to know why? Let me give you a classic example. Fentanyl. Fentanyl, the deadly painkiller that's at the heart of the opioid epidemic. It's an epidemic that killed 18,000 people last year alone. This morning, China announced that it would put all fentanyl-related drugs on their list of controlled substances beginning a month from now. Some are hailing this as a big victory for President Trump, who's repeatedly gone on record blaming the Chinese for flooding the United States with fentanyl. But you know what? I'm not so sure what a big win it is. When President Trump and President Xi had their big summit in Buenos Aires last December, one of the few definite commitments was a pledge to immediately stop the inflow of fentanyl into the United States. It was supposed to be a key sign of good faith. And what happened? Not very much. There was no serious push by the Communist Party to put a stop to this. Every time China's banned one kind of fentanyl, their manufacturers just changed the formula a little bit. It's something that's uh, now legal. This new ban is supposed to change all that. But given China's track record when it comes to upholding international agreements, consider me skeptical. And this matters, people. I believe that if the Chinese government doesn't instantly show some arrests against fentanyl makers and distributors, it could be a deal breaker. You heard me, a deal breaker. If we keep seeing more imports of this drug, which is 30 to 50 times more potent than heroin, I think President Trump might go so far as to suspend the trade talks, at least until we see what happens when the ban goes into effect on May 1st. I say this because, to me, this announcement from China feels like a response to a speech made by Peter Navarro, the president's top trade advisor at the Export-Import Bank's annual conference last week. Navarro castigated the Chinese just last week for the lack of good faith on this very fentanyl issue. Listen to this. Against the backdrop of the slaughter of tens of thousands of Americans annually, the president is also taking China to task for flooding some of America's most economically disadvantaged communities with enough fentanyl to wipe out entire counties. No wonder the Chinese acted today. They know Navarro has the president's ear. 
He's probably the most influential voice in the White House when it comes to trade. And Navarro has a lot of problems with the way China handles itself. He talks about, and I quote, a list of unfair trade practices and bad behaviors longer than my sleeve. Cyber intrusions into our business network to steal trade secrets for commercial gain, forced technology transfer, intellectual property theft, weaponized overcapacity and related dumping in industries ranging from basic commodities to advanced technology, the march across the globe of heavily subsidized state-owned enterprises and a chronically undervalued currency. That's a huge litany of hard-to-change practices, and it's why I think it's going to be very tough to make a deal. What do we have balanced against that? Just some endless leaks from the Treasury Department that we're only a few deal points away from an agreement. That's sure not how Navarro makes it sound. Plus, over the weekend, the Chinese PMI was very robust, which calls into question just how badly China's going to need to do this deal. Remember, the president has talked about leave, uh, leaving on the tariffs even after we reach an agreement with China, something that's going to be very hard for them to swallow. Why would the Chinese government make concessions if their economy is doing better than we thought? Now, maybe May 1st will roll around and China will truly crack down on the fentanyl business. Now, that would be a terrific sign that the People's Republic is willing to deal in good faith. But until then, I think you need to be skeptical when you hear positive chatter about how well the trade negotiations are going, because the complexities simply don't allow for a quick handshake and a nice photo op. Much more Mad Bunny Head. Could the drop in Lyft shares today be a warning when it comes to the rest of the red-hot public offerings coming forward in 2019? I'm giving my take. Then, new stock? Who dis? I'll tell you how the big breakup in Dow DuPont could impact your portfolio. And I'm taking your questions tweet by tweet. So send them my way with the mad tweets. Stay with me. When it comes to your portfolio, Kramer will always go the extra mile, traveling the country and telling the most valuable stories. Start your investment journey with mad money and let Kramer help map out your financial future. On Friday, Lyft came public with great fanfare. Stock soared from 72 to 87 and changed at the open before drifting lower. But today it melted down, plunging 11.9% to 69. So even if you got in on the deal, you've now lost money. I got to admit, I didn't get this one right. I didn't expect it. We're at the very beginning of an IPO boom with a ton of huge deals on the horizon. Normally at this point in the cycle, the underwriters will do everything they can to make sure that this did not occur. Everything they can to make you enticed. They want you coming back for more when Pinterest and Uber and Airbnb and all the rest come public. That means underpricing the first few deals and encouraging mutual funds and hedge funds to hold on to their newly issued uh, shares so the stock price didn't collapse like Lyft did today. This isn't what they wanted. What does it mean? To me, it's one more piece of evidence that you need to be very careful with these red-hot initial public offerings. If you can get in on the actual deal, well, you had a winner. You just had to ring the register. Most of those shares go to big institutional investors, not home gamers. If you buy stock after it spiked at the opening, the track record has been far less impressive. So far this year, we've had 18 IPOs. We would have had more, but the government shut down in January. It meant that the uh, SEC was close for business, which caused the flow of deals to slow to a trickle. On average, the IPOs from the class of 2019 are up 11.5% from where they came public, but only up 2% from where they started trading. See that difference? And sometimes even getting in on the deal isn't enough, as we've seen today with Lyft. 
Although, again, I repeat, had you gotten stock on the deal and flipped it, you made a, oh, man, you made a pretty penny. Yet we know this market is about to be deluged with new issues of major household names. Uh, companies that, well, according to Renaissance Capital, the IPO experts, the pipeline now contains 73 companies that are looking to raise $17 billion, although that ended up being probably far more. We had 35 new filings in the first quarter, and the pace is accelerating as more companies filed in, in March and, and then in January and February combined. Renaissance predicts that we could easily have 60 or more deals in this very quarter with a similar amount in the third quarter and the fourth quarter, and you see why I'm worried. Now, some of these stocks may be worth buying depending on where they start trading. More on that once we get closer to the deals. But in general, I think there's a better way to play the IPO boom. Rather than making risky bets on newly public companies right out of the gate, what if we take a page from the seminal military historian B.H. Lydell Hart, just Google, Lydell Hart, H-E-R-T, and go for the indirect approach. Yep, tonight I want to give you three side door plays on the 2019 IPO deluge. Three companies that benefit from a strong IPO ecosystem that make money regardless of how the actual deals perform. First, you can always invest in the exchanges that host these, new de- these listings. In the United States, that means either the New York Stock Exchange, which is a subsidiary of Intercontinental Exchange, or NASDAQ, which is self-explanatory, even as it has some side businesses. Given where most of these deals are coming, I think NASDAQ stock is the way to go. While Levi's came public on the New York Stock Exchange a week and a half ago, it was literally the, the United States' only IPO in the first quarter. The Nasdaq the other hand, got 17 deals, including Lyft. And it's the Lyft deal that's the real game changer here. You might not know this, but the Lyft IPO was the largest initial public offering held since on the Nasdaq since the Facebook debacle in 2012. Ever since then, we've seen more and more tech giants going public on the New York Stock Exchange. Think Twitter, right? Alibaba, Snap, because they didn't trust the Nasdaq to get it right. After Lyft's incident-free IPO, in other words, it opened on time, even though it opened high, that wasn't their fault. Uh, I think that they'll pri- finally be able to put the Facebook queries behind them and NASDAQ will start doing much better. So even though both Uber and Pinterest are going to the New York Stock Exchange, I think NASDAQ is now in a much better position to win big deals than it was a week ago. And look, this is a very well-run company with a lot to like. NASDAQ delivered 11% organic revenue growth, double-digit in its latest quarter. That's a nice acceleration. 21% earnings growth. They just made an unsolicited takeover bid for Oslo Bors VPS. That's a positive catalyst. Plus, with NASDAQ stock trading at less than 16 times next year's earnings estimates, I think it's a bargain. It's kind of a fintech in disguise. Who else benefits from the booming IPO market? How about the investment banks that are underwriting these deals? Winning this business is a competitive process, but the banks that come out on top are very well compensated, especially if they do a good job pricing these IPOs and moving shares in the first month of trading. So far, Goldman Sachs has handled the Levi's deal. J.P. Morgan ran the show for Lyft, and they're going to do uh, Pinterest. Goldman landing the coveted lead left position. Uh, how do you play it? Goldman Sachs is a pure play investment bank, although it's got this Marcus thing now that I like in that Apple card. You know, I like that, too. But anyway, it's their underwriting business is much more of a needle mover than J- for J.P. Morgan. They win a bunch of these deals, and it will really bolster their earnings power. I know Goldman's been tough to own in recent months. Tell me about it. Charitable trust. Ouch! But its stock is still ridiculously cheap, selling for 7.5 times next year's earnings estimates, and it even trades at a discount to its book value. The IPO boom could be the catalyst that finally gets this, the cheapest on a price-to-earnings multiple brokerage stock that there is. I throw my hands down like that because that is it's kind of an insult. Who else? 
We know Morgan Stanley's handling the ginormous Uber deal, and that alone should be pretty darn lucrative for them. Their lead technology investment banker actually did a stint as an Uber driver to win this business. So they're clearly going above and beyond. Again, the financials are an unloved group, but these IPOs give you a reason to bet on the investment banks. Now, do you know that Morgan Stanley's last quarter was so bad that even the CEO was critical of himself. And you know what? The CEO is uber competitive. His name is James Gorman. I can tell you right now, Gorman is not going to let another quarter like that happen. I like the stock of Morgan Stanley. Third side door playing all these tech deals. My fave, Amazon. While Amazon doesn't have a direct exposure to the IPO market, every time we evaluate one of these tech deals, we play a little game called Let's See How Much This Soon-To-Be-Public Company Owes Amazon Web Services. This all started with Snap. We realized they were on the hook for $3 billion to their cloud hosting providers, including $1 billion to Amazon, which is one reason I told you to stay away from Snap. Lyft's paying Amazon Web Services $300 million uh, over the next three years. In fact, AWS lists Lyft as a case study on their website showing all the ways they can save companies money on cloud infrastructure costs. Amazon Web Services dominates this business. Their next largest competitors, Google and Microsoft, don't even come close. So as we see this parade of tech IPOs coming uh, at company after company, right, it's, it's telling us how much how, each one of them seems to have a deal with Amazon. The week before last, we got Pinterest prospectus. They're on the hook for $750 million over the six-year period ending in 2023. Now, Amazon Web Services is already doing $25 billion a year in sales. And the CEO, Andy Jassy, recently told us right here they grew a 47%, 47% clip last year. It's not these disclosures <laughs> that uh, reveal new comp- contracts. These are not not new contracts. They're just more kind of detailed information than we had before. However, as the first generation of companies that were born on the cloud starts coming public, I think Wall Street will gain a new appreciation for this fantastic business. And Amazon stock will be rewarded even more than it is now. The bottom line, if you want to play the IPO boom without taking the immense risk of buying these stocks right out of the gate, think Lyft. Embrace the indirect approach and buy the more consistent winners here, like NASDAQ, Goldman Sachs, Morgan Stanley, and Amazon. Jason in Pennsylvania. Jason. Hey, Jim. A big Bryce Harper Baba Booey booyah to you from Philadelphia. How's it going? Uh, Well, look, it's the time to be from Philadelphia. They call me Bryce here. I'm not kidding. They used to call me Chase. Now they call me Bryce. There we go. Just two future Hall of Famers representing Philly. Exactly. So I wanted to get your thoughts on the company DocuSign. Um, the company is in the growing e-signature cloud industry, has beat earnings per share the past four quarters. However, a lot of competition from Adobe into it. Well, that's, but- yeah, I mean, you just named why we have not pushed it, because um, I, I happen to think Intuit is great. Uh, Adobe is great. This, they have a lot of, they have a lot of competition. It is a good company, though, and I'd like to have them on the show. That's my take. Go Phillies. Okay, how about Sebastian in New York? Sebastian. How are you? How you doing, Jim? Booyah. I'm, booyah. <laughs> Good. Um, I'm, I'm calling about IQ stock. I bought it last year no. around around April. It was at $22. Then it went to 45 Made a lot of money on it. I held it, and then it went down. And now it's back to 20, it's down to $25. And I like to know where they're going. The, the Chinese Netflix, people. it's too hard. I mean, honestly, it's too hard. I mean, I am all in favor of Alibaba, the Chinese, Microsoft, that I can get behind. But I just think, I mean, no. The answer is 
Don't buy. Don't buy. Don't buy. Don't buy. Know your IPO, people. If you want to play the boom without an immense risk, embrace the indirect approach at NASDAQ, at Goldman Sachs, a Morgan Stanley, and most importantly, in Amazon. Much more mad money ahead. The Dow will add a new member with an old name. I'll tell you if the new Dow chemical could be worth investing in. Then, mad tweets gets literal. I'll explain just ahead in all your calls. Rapid fire in tonight's edition of The Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. Tomorrow, kick off the trading day with Squawk on the Street. Live from Post 9 at the NYSE. Because it's April 1st, everybody. We haven't done any April Fools. <laughs> I mean, to me, April Fools is always a great thing. We got him. Oh, we gotta have a little fun on a day like today. It all starts at 9 a.m. Eastern. Finally, finally, Dow DuPont, the colossal chemical company, is going to start breaking itself up tomorrow morning. Remember when the old Dow Chemical merged with DuPont in 2017? A deal they started planning at the end of 2015. The plan was always to briefly combine forces and then break the company up into three separate pieces that would each dominate the respective end markets. Corteva Bioscience for Agriculture Crop Protection. The new Dow for Material Science. And the new DuPont for Specialty Products. Instead of one gigantic conglomerate, you'll get three more focused businesses. Regular viewers know I'm a gigantic fan of breakups. The ones that unlock value. And I thought this was a very good idea from the very beginning. But I was way, way too early when it comes to recommending the stock to you, not to mention owning it for the charitable trust, which you can follow along by joining the ActionAlertsPlus.com club. And you can see just how miserable this thing has made me. Yeah, you know, I even whined about it to my wife this weekend. Yep, as we waited for the company to split, up, split itself up, Dow DuPont shares just got slammed. For the last 15 months, this has been a very tough stock to own, in part because many of its businesses are cyclical. Nobody wants cyclical, cyclicality when the economy starts to slow down. Still, the central idea was always sound. Rather than competing with each other, Dow and DuPont join forces and then break the company up by vertical. I don't know how the Justice Department and Antitrust Division let this deal happen, but they did, and long-term is going to be a huge boon to these businesses. That's one reason I've long held that the sum of the parts here is worth more than the stock market's been willing to pay for the combined company. The split is the key to unlocking that value, people. And tomorrow, tomorrow, the breakup begins when Dow DuPont spins off the Material Science Division as the new Dow, which will take its parents' place in the Dow Jones Industrial Average Index and also join the S&P 500. Highly unusual, being done at the same time. The new Dow is a material science play. They sell all sorts of plastics, performance, materials, and more consumer-oriented chemicals. So uh, what the heck should you do with your Dow if you get it because you own Dow DuPont, perhaps at my instigation, or if you want to buy the company. Again, i got to acknowledge that owning Dow DuPont ahead of this breakup is one of my bigger mistakes that I've made. What went wrong? Between the trade war where the U.S. agriculture industry has been targeted by China and the global economic slowdown, the stock has become a lot less attractive uh, on the Wall Street fashion show. And let's not forget the horrible flooding, which also hurt crop protection. Things really took a turn for the worst last October when Dow DuPont had to take a $4.6 billion write-off. <laughs> right there, okay? 
Uh, when the company reported a couple weeks later, the numbers were be- better than people feared, but it really doesn't matter. It didn't matter. Now, by late December, okay, the stock was rallying off its lows. We were looking good. We were looking good uh, with the rest of the market. But then in January, the company reported a not-so-hot quarter with big revenue miss, in-line earnings. I was, it took my breath away. Uh, I paired with some tepid commentary about the state of the global economy in 2019. Finally, adding insult to injury, just last Thursday, Dow DuPont lowered its revenue forecast for the first quarter, blaming the flooding in the Midwest that I mentioned that hurt the agriculture business. True, as well as margin compression in the packaging business and some one-off issues in Germany and Kuwait that were hard to get my arms around. However, while the stock initially got dingled in the news, it only ended up rallying. To me, this is a sign that investors are focused on the future, what the three separate businesses will look like after the breakup. They're not focused on the past. I mean, this could be a big deal. You can see when you get that, you, know, you get some sort of, reversal, it can really be very exciting for people because they say, wow, maybe the selling's over. Which brings me, of course, to the new Dow. The first of the spinoffs starts trading tomorrow as a separate entity. If you already own Dow DuPont, I think it's worth holding on to the spinoff. And if you don't own it, you know what? I'd be a buyer. Why? Okay, the new Dow contains three major divisions. Well, they have six verticals, but three major. Performance materials and coatings, industrial intermediates, they're called, and infrastructure, and packaging and specialty plastics. This stuff goes into everything. Right now, Dow's signaling that each of its divisions will be in a position to grow faster than the global economy while also improving their margins. That's good news. Some of that margin expansion will be the result of management tapering off its investments in the underlying business. For the past five years, Dow DuPont and its two predecessors have invested substantial amounts of money in growing this business production capacity. That spending can now be throttled back, maybe even dramatically. Plus, remember, there are still tons of cost synergies to realize from the Dow DuPont merger because they, frankly, little late in the whole thing. Dow DuPont, uh, this, uh, Dow DuPont CEO, or CEO of the new Dow, I should say, Jim Fitterling, talks about $800 million in remaining synergies and says they expect to realize 75% of those in 2019. This guy is a material scientist. He is no lightweight. He's a heavyweight. Best of all, the new Dow is going to be very shareholder-friendly. Management plans to pay a very hefty dividend long-term. They're talking about a 45% payout ratio, meaning 45% of their net income goes directly to you, the shareholder. Initially, they're talking about $2.1 billion in annual dividends. Now, doing some quick back-of-the-envelope market get, uh, math, get this. That should come to roughly $2.80 per share. You should be thinking right here, right now, wait a second, what's the stock price? Given that Dow's when-issued shares are, tr- are currently trading at $53.50, okay, that means with that dividend, the stock will have a 5.2% yield, 5.2. At these levels, the new Dow would have the largest dividend in the Dow Jones Industrial Average. That's incredible. Remember when Verizon used to have it? This is really good news, uh, especially with the benchmark 10-year Treasury yielding less than 2.5%. And it's a safe, it's a safe dividend. Meanwhile, management's also talking about a $3 billion buyback. I don't expect them to do all this at once, but it's nice to know that this company will have this bazooka at its disposal if the stock starts to struggle. All that said, you need to be careful here. Once the new Dow DuPont gets spun off by Dow DuPont, once the new Dow gets spun off by Dow DuPont, the stock could be pretty volatile for the next few weeks. We've seen this before with other breakups. There will be Dow DuPont shareholders who get a piece of the new Dow and sell it simply because they don't want to own what's known as a commodity chemical. They don't want that exposure to perhaps a slowing economy. My view, I say Dow is worth buying, but you should buy the stock slowly and into weakness. Let me give you the bottom line. At long last, at long last, they're breaking up. 
And you're going to get this one tomorrow, okay? Dow will be tomorrow. It's a very big deal. I think the sum of the parts here is worth a lot more than the whole, and I very much like the new Dow that will start trading tomorrow, particularly because of the dividend. The yield is so big, sure, it's cyclical. But I'm betting any weakness from the global economy is already baked into the stock, and any potential positivity is definitely not baked in. Oh, and I'm sitting down with Jim Finnerly, the CEO. The CEO of the New Dow. Tomorrow morning on Squawk on the Street. I can't wait, so stay tuned. It is time. It's over the and then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Skate the lightning round. It's over with Todd in California. Todd. Jim, thanks for taking my call. Of course. My, my question's about Goodyear. So they're at like a five-year low. Um, but oh, boy, anything quarter, auto I think is going lower. I could not believe that Illinois Tool was so good today and some of the other auto-related. I'm going to stay away from Goodyear. I want to go to Joseph in Michigan. Joseph! Hi, Jim. I'm all about digital strategy. And for that reason, I'd like your opinion on Fortive, FTV. Spin off of Danner. I love Danner even more than Fortive, but Fortive is a very, very good company. A lot of simple counting to it, though. I need to go to Richard in Pennsylvania. Richard! Hey, I was wondering what you might think about uh, WDC, Western Digital Corp. It's a very inexpensive stock, but I believe that their main products are coming down in val- in price, so therefore I have to say no to Western Digital. I want Mike in Florida. Mike! Jim, thank you for taking my call. Yes. Hey, you are the hardest working man on Wall Street. I try to be. You're the James Brown of investing. And I uh, have a question, though, about Celgene. Uh, looks like the merger with Bristol Myers is going to happen. Uh, so, do you recommend holding on to Celgene through no, the merger it's and taking I shares? No, it's done. You're going to get the merger. I'd rather let's find you the next one. Find the next stock. That's what matters. Let's go to Mike in Massachusetts. Mike! Jim, booyah, booyah. How booyah. are you, man? Booyah. Oh, we're going to know about uh, Will Tower. You know, W-E-L-L. if you're going to buy health care, if you're going to buy health care REITs, you're going to buy. Ventos, because we like Deb Cafarro. How about we go to Dave in Arizona? Dave! Hey, Jim, first time caller here. Thank you for taking my call, and thank you so much for all your help. My stock is Caredex, C-D-N-A. I do not know Caredex. I do know the heart transplant business. Unfortunately, it's not really a business. It's just tragedy. Uh, But let me do some work on it, and I will come back. Uh, let's go to Bill in Colorado, please. Bill! Jim, Professor Kramer. Yes. Uh, big booyah to you from Snowy, Colorado. Oh, yeah, I saw Snowy in Syracuse, too. Kind of amazing. What's going on? Hey, uh, I've been a long-term listener. Okay. And about two, three years ago, I took some of my mad money, some of my extra mad money, and invested in a speculative stock. Okay. And that speculative stock was Fox. And about, oh, I don't know, about 10 months ago, it got up to as high as $29. Yes, it did. But it since has retreated to about $18.50 to $19.50 a share. And it just seems like it continues to go up. Well, look, that last quarter was not that good. The quarter before that was not that good. So it's very difficult for Aaron Levy to be able to come on and say, hey, listen, let's uh, buy the stock. Look, I don't want you to dump it here, but... Understand, it's down for good reasons. 
It's down because it missed the quarters. Let's go to Mike and Farnham. Mike. Hey, Jim. Thanks for taking my call. Really appreciate it. Hey, uh, calling about Twitter here. It's been hammered pretty hard uh, over the last few months. Uh, I took a took a position on it, uh, but it's just hanging out. Um, I'm just wondering, do you think this thing is ever going to take off and go back up? Or uh, I think it's going to kind of hang here for a while. It's got to be able to get more advertising. I, look, I, you know, the one, the three that work are Facebook, Amazon, and Alphabet. Those are the way that people advertise right now. Twitter's got a lot of advertisement coming, but not enough yet, and that's why people like the others. I need to go to Eric in California. Eric! Booyah, Jim. Booyah. Um, my mother and my grandmother watch you every morning. And oh, fabulous. Hey, I was wondering about William-Sonoma and what you think about uh, this William-Sonoma in a good quarter. Four hours did a good job. They've got a terrific omni-channel business. How does the stock not go hard? Well, I think people worried about restoration hardware, RH. That didn't do that well. But I think that that's a good company, WSM. I say own it. Kevin in Florida. Kevin! Booyah, Kramer. Oh, yeah. Give a big shout-out. Uh, my stock is S-H-O-P, Shopify. Oh, jeez, do we like Shopify. When we had them on, it was quite about 180, ah, and I was totally impressed, and I am still impressed right here. And that, ladies and gentlemen, conclusion of the Lightning Round! The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. We're the most interactive show on television. And it helps to have the smartest audience. I love to hear from you, America. Let's get to your tweets. All right. First up, we have a tweet that says, no to the producer. Please stop giving this man props. At least nothing that could hurt anyone. Nerf balls are okay. Steel knives and bats are definitely out. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, we did when we did this one the other day, uh, I did, t- I, did uh, I stunk of monster when I came home. My wife said, what is that cologne? I said, that's Oda Monster. All right, next up, is my grandma your interior decorator? Well, no. Okay, you know, maybe. Mm. Doesn't look that great. I admit to that. Um, oh, oh, that's Evan, oh, that's Evan and Bob Marley going at it. They ripped this. She was so angry. And then somebody says, listen, how do you, what kind of furniture is that? Well, look at me. It's like Wayfair. If you have two dogs and they do all this stuff inside when they're supposed to be outside, well, what? You get my drift. All right. Our first tweet uh, says, oh, it's first tweet. This is good because it's kind of our third tweet. Um, Hashtag Jim Cramer. Facts. Jim Cramer is the spawn of an unholy union between Don Knotts and Anton LaVey. Yeah, there's some truth to that. That's a very unfortunate one, but thank you for that. Wow. Okay, yeah. All right, this tweet says, Jimbo, did you use a lift after this photo was taken? Absolute classic, hashtag legend. Oh, yeah, that's a Polaroid. Okay, you know, sometimes when you're in Summit, you think you're at home and nobody sees anything, right? Well, that's wrong. Now Summit's off limits, too. I guess you just can't get dressed in a... In a, 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 you know, a whole armor of bud and get really drunk anymore. All right, here's a tweet that says, Jim Cramer can't take the heat. Yeah, I mean, right now everyone's angry at me about Lyft because I said that Lyft was valued the same price as the Cloud Kings. Now everybody hates me. What do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? What can I do? Who was that guy? I don't know. Who was that guy? Who was that guy? All right. Well, if you hate me, it's fine. If you've decided that I'm a total idiot because Lyft dropped below the IPO price, 
fine. Watch the other idiots. Okay. And here's another tweet. Somebody needs to stuff a bran muffin in Jim Cramer's big, fat pie hole. I guess that's lift again. I mean, what else did I do? I, I never kicked a dog. Either one. Even when Everest did, you know, kind of in the middle of the hall, you know what I mean? Never. All right. All right. This tweet is a little more compassionate. It says, I read some replies to your post, and I can't understand how you don't throw your phone in the Hudson River. Well, the answer is because I throw it in the East River. All right. All right. I like to say, no, I don't like to say I'm not done. Jimbo, did you use a lift? Uh, this is a classic, this Polaroid. Those, that's when I used to drink Bud. I switched, I switched to, to um, you know, I, I'm a Corona guy now. All right, stick with Kramer. Mr. Kramer, absolutely love the show. We really appreciate you out there, man. Booyah to my kids, Emma and Aiden. They're in elementary school learning so much from you. Booyah, Mr. Kramer. I know you hear this all the time, Jim, but thank you, thank you, thank you so much. This has been my best year by far and away in the market. I just want to thank you for, you know, looking out for the regular guys out there. I am trying to teach people to be better investors, and I am doing my darn best. That's the goal here. Great to hear your voice and know that you're there for us. Tomorrow we get a stock. A lot of people feel it's going to not report a good quarter. It's Walgreens. It's a Dow stock. I am concerned that if they guide down, you're going to get some selling that you didn't see today because today's the first day of the month. But remember, April has historically been a terrific month. So if we get the China deal and we can do deals better than they handled Lyft, and I thought Lyft, again, mea culpa, would be okay here, well, then we might be off the races again. I like to say there always a bull market something. I'm going to find it just for you right here on Man Bunny. I'm Jim Cramer, and I will see you tomorrow. At Fidelity, online U.S. stock and ETF trades are commission-free. $0 commission for online retail Fidelity account U.S. equity and ETF trades. Sell order assessment fee in some account types and securities excluded. See Fidelity.com slash commissions. Fidelity Brokerage Services, member NYSE SIPC.